Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And uh, Merry Christmas. Yes. And <laughs> uh, um, we're going to talk about <laughs> Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Another Spider-Man movie. It's interesting, it kind of, it takes what's been happening with universes over the last sort of ten years mm. and, and kind of inverts it. What's been yes. happening with Marvel and, and universes is taking all of these characters and fitting them together into the same world. And what this does is take one character, Spider-Man, and split him into five or six different versions yes. that interact. So it says that there's lots of different universes. Yes. And in this film they come together. And it's animated uh, sort of... It's 3D, but it's got a, a real 2D hand-drawn, hand-animated feel to it. Very interesting animation and, and, yes. and drawing. I mean, it's not just that. It's almost like different periods in the film will have a different style of animation, um, which makes the film vi- visually very, very interesting, actually. Yeah. I was expecting a little bit more of that, actually. It's mainly when, when other characters sort of come in, which is a little, which mainly happens later on in the film, because you've mostly got your main character, which is Miles Morales, who's, a, I think, a character that only originated in the last 10 years or so in the comics. Right. Um, who's this... Uh, a mixed race kid from New York. He's uh, his his dad's African American. His mum's, I think, Puerto Rican. And he is uh, also a version of Spider Man. Mm. Uh, and in this, it's, yeah. So in this, he starts off. There is Spider Man. Spider Man is Peter Parker. Yes. Who lives in his world? He happens to also then get bit by a radioactive spider. Yes. Stuff happens. Peter Parker dies right at the beginning, and through one reason or another, one one mechanism or another, Morales is thrown into a world where lots of other versions of Spider-Man, including a different universe's Peter Parker, who's in yes. his 40s, yes. um, kind of uh, enter his universe. And then ha- they have to try and get home. He has to learn to be Spider-Man and blah, blah, blah. Yes. It's very interesting. I mean, I thought all of that was very interesting. So the, the first thing that caught my eye is that in this animated um, Spider-Man, basically what it does is a recap of all the most spectacular scenes of all the other Spider-Man movies, right? Well, really, really the Raimi ones, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well... They seem to be kind of canon in a way. Yes. Um, uh, I wasn't... I, I mean, I couldn't pinpoint them, but, mm. you know, I knew I'd seen them before. And so what it does is it kind of basically recaps them in an animated version, yeah? So they're all kind of cartoon so, recaps of... Yeah, so it's got uh, him famously from Spider-Man 2... Uh, stopping the train at the front and he's got all a web coming out of his mm. wrist at the the buildings at the side to stop it. That's one of the most famous of things. I think the reason that it's that it's those three films in particular that it recaps or uses to establish Spider Man is that um this isn't a Marvel production. It's one of those that Sony, because they still own Spider Man mm. in association with Marvel. Yeah. So because and because those Spider Man films were Sony only uh, I think it's. I think it's. So there's a rights issue involved. Something yeah. like that. It's, okay. like, it's just their version. Um, well, all of that was very, very interesting, and actually, kind of, you know, the wit of giving, you know, the origin story, you know, for each of the characters that you see, and then kind of being playful with it, and kind of speeding it all up, and mm. you know, kind of the film has an interesting kind of narrative structure where, you know, as each new Spider-Man is introduced, um, the style of animation changes. But actually, kind of the structure of this recap becomes kind of a, like a bit of an in joke throughout. I kind of I liked all of that. Yeah, very much. all the recaps start off with looking at a comic book, and it says this version of Spider-Man, who you know, noir Spider-Man or Spider-Pig or whatever, 
spider ham. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and they say something like, you know, for, uh, let's, uh, let's let's do this again, or for the last time, let's tell the story. And yes. then they tell their origin story. Yes. And there's a great joke a little bit later on where, uh, spoilers, I guess, um, when Miles discovers that one of the enemies he's facing is actually his uncle working yes. for Kingpin. Kingpin. Um, and he tells the other spider people this. The noir Spider-Man says that's a hell of an origin story. Yes. <laughs> so the film has a very, um, it has a real sort of self-aware streak. I mean, it would be impossible for it not to. Not and to, also, yeah. it's written, it's co-written by Phil Lord of Lord and Miller, who, uh, and it's produced by them as well, who made um, Twenty One Jump Street and Lego Movie okay. and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They have an incredibly witty yes. uh, sort of sensibility and. And they bring it to they bring it to their direction and their scripts. Like, this wasn't directed by them. This was directed by Bob Perichetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman from a script by Lord and Rothman. Yeah. So a huge kind of team effort. Um, yes, but you can you can feel their their sort of sensibility all over it in the timing and the type of wit. Yes, I I thought there was a problem for me with um, some of the pacing. Yeah, it was intermittently boring. Yes, I thought. Yes, which is an odd thing to say because, you know, there's so much about it that I liked and I mm. thought it was so kind of visually exciting. Actually, I thought it was so visually exciting that in a paradoxical way, I wanted to see it on a DVD. You know, so which you I, pause I, it. Yeah, <laughs> which I almost never feel. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a movie person. I really prefer seeing everything in the cinema and so on. But, you know, this was... I, I don't know why... And it's something to think about. Why was this a type of film where I thought I might have had a more enriching experience watching it on a DVD. Part of it is because the animation is so great and it's so interesting and so visual and it's almost like you want to linger over some of those compositions, right? Because, you know, the film really does make use of the comic book form. Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's lots of panels and the film uses panels and it uses comic books and so on. And actually, you want to pause over those panels, like some of the drawings of the Kingpin you know, taking up like three quarters of a frame of one panel, you know, they do seem like just dazzling visually. But of course, then, you know, it's a movie, so it moves very fast. Yeah, it moves incredibly fast. But also, it's not just panels. I mean, it, it does use a, um, a quite in-your-face comic book aesthetic, like you said. Like, uh, there are points where it uses uh, kind of speech bubbles and yes. and, and nar- narrative bubbles and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, but a lot of the time, it's just things like... It's just the compositions. Yes. Like, um, particularly the shot where... Miles returns to the scene of where he was bitten by the spider, realising there's something wrong with him or something different about him, and he looks for the spider, and it's lying there on its back on the ground, it's dead, and its legs are curled up, and you see this shot that's basically ground level, looking up through the spider's legs at Miles, Mm. and so the spider's legs are huge, and they completely frame him, Mm. and it's it feels like a comic book panel you know, It's, it's it's stylish and Expressive. I mean, that that shot's almost like that's like Nosferatu or something with the things yes. coming in at him. You know, no, there's, there are, there's great, great visual things. So there's real kind of visual sort of neatness, yeah, um, as well. Kind of, uh, there are times when things kind of get cluttered, but actually the clutter is important. That's that's when that's when the kind of multiverse intrudes on the quote unquote real world, yes. Miles's universe. So like when when the multiverse there's like a science experiment and when it kind of goes off and multiverse things start happening then buildings and lampposts and trees start uh, shifting and that's when they shift into these different drawing styles different animation styles and then they end up coming out like 
like these bizarre art pieces. Like, well, there's a character who says, "I think it's a Banksy." Yes, <laughs> you know, weird <laughs> things stuck in the middle of the town, and they're angular and jagged and weird, yes. and they don't match everything else. No, and it's, the, and it's the, the clash of styles of animation that emphasizes that. Yes, I mean that is a trope in comic books, right? Because you know they would often do like these alternate reality um, stories, you know, and every once in a while they'd bring all of these kind of you know, alternate universes together mm. in some kind of explosive form. So in a way, kind of the narrative in itself is not it's not in any way innovative. It's been done kind of, you know, many, many times before in comic books. What what I thought made it interesting here is that it's done through all of the of these different styles of animation. So, you know, there's I forget what her name was, but like um oh, manga Peppa Peppa Spider or something. Penny and then, Parker, Penny Parker. Right yeah. Now. Yeah, she was done in a manga style, you know, kind of very tweeny and <laughs> you know, kind of cutesy and so on. Yeah, so kawaii. You, and then of course there was like film noir spider and that was all you know like a kind black and white yeah he's really taken by a rubik's cube because it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't know what colors <laughs> are yeah. i mean and, all that was very you know and there are elements that and also and then there's a spider ham as well who comes from a, a looney tunes universe yes um but those are the three those are the three characters that really emphasize the difference in style whereas the, whereas the other ones miles old peter if you like and gwen stacy they inhabit the same universe visually. Mm, I'm not... Yes and no. So I think, for example, the Gwen Stacy, you know, when she's on her own, I think the colours are different. Mm. You know, I think the, the the style of animation is softer, you know, uh, whereas Miles is kind of drawn in a, in a little bit of a wonky manner. He's Maybe. kind of much more angular than than Gwen Stacy. Yeah, I guess is. he's animated a little bit more, kind of jerky. Yeah, so well. I think I think but, there are differences. Yeah, but they're much more slight. They're, I think the okay. film I think the film sets up a certain hierarchy of kind of normalness. Yes, it does. Uh, Miles and Old Peter and Gwen, by and large, inhabit a more normal, uh, yes. sort of human version. And then when you get into noir and anime and Looney Tunes, they are. Played for laughs largely, they're not yeah. that important to the story, and um, and they they bring in a lot of kind of visual excitement, but they are less important, and that's and that's reflected in uh, it, it's it, well, it's not reflected, but it's just it's a combination of their visual styles, and that like you can't imagine if, imagine if they made a movie like this where Spider Ham was the main character, you kind of can't, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, oink, oink. You know, you know what I mean? No, but listen, what I'm trying to say. And I agree with you, right? There is a hierarchy. The differences between Peter Parker, Gwen Stacy, and Miles are slighter. But it's a credit to the amount of thought and visual imagination of the film that even within that, you know, they're all, they're each Mm. drawn in a slightly different manner. And actually the same goes for the Kingpin, right? Like, Mm. you know, kind of the visualization of the Kingpin is done in a very different manner to Gwen Stacy. Right, even a different color palette and That's so true. on, you know. So the Kingpin is very much of a kind of, of, of like a TV uh, cartoon, I think, like like a Western TV cartoon version where it's it's very big and wide. And I mean, it's, it's, it's the first shot of him. I really laughed at because there's this tiny head in the middle of these vast wide shoulders. Yes. But it's yeah, huge and blocky. And there's something there's something almost almost like Batman-y about that. Yeah, um, there is. It's but, a, it's a very interesting style of animation. But again, you're right. Like it. It, it does, it's not quite the same, 
but it does cohere really, yeah. really nicely. Really nicely, and it, and it's to the film's credit that it actually makes it work so well. Yes. Yeah. So, so I suppose my question is, with all of those um, things that I like so much about it. And actually, we must mention, like, the voicing is really an all-star cast, right? Do you want me to go through the cast? Yeah. Okay, uh, okay so Miles, your main character is uh, Shamik Moore. Shamik Moore, I don't know him. I don't know him. Um, Peter Parker is Jake Johnson. I don't know I don't him either. Let's just go through the ones that, that made a, an impression. So, um... Well, Prowler, the uncle, yes. is Mahershala Ali. Yes. Uh, Jefferson Davis, the dad, is Brian Tyree Henry. Yes, I you've love. Got, you've got a right crush on these days. Well, I, on both of them, actually. I, but Brian Terry Henry, I just think to me, he's the actor that's made the biggest impression this year on me. Really, mm. I didn't. Th- mind you, I think I thought. Well, I didn't recognize him, so I, he felt kind of anonymous to me in this. Oh well, he could have been someone else. Which, which is not, I mean, that's not the worst thing. It's just he's not the most important character. But I just didn't think like there was a. Well, to be fair, the thing about Brian Terry Henry, it's not his voice that's the most distinctive thing about him. No, that's true. Whereas, actually, Nicolas Cage has a very, very distinctive voice. Yeah, Nicolas uh, Cage plays uh, noir, noir Spider-Man. Yes, and, uh, and he's, he's wonderful. Lovely. Uh, John Mulaney plays Peter Porker, yes. Spider-Ham. Um, um, and Leif Schreiber is the Kingpin. Yes. And Lily Tomlin is Aunt May. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And Aunt May gets this um, really kind of radically different role yes. uh, to that you've seen in well I'm not I'm not a comic book geek so this may be something that is in the comic book same, but in terms of movies Aunt May is always I've never supposed, seen it Aunt like May is always supposed to be oblivious and you know it's a secret that, uh, that from her that Peter is Spider-Man or, but then in this one she is like on top of everything yes. she's making gadgets and she's in charge and she's a badass you know whom I also loved and you know I haven't I, I used to be a big comic book geek but I haven't followed uh, Spider-Man for you know 20-30 years actually so um, but um, what surprised me and maybe it's standard but it surprised me was to see uh, Doc Ock as a woman yeah, I didn't expect. You know, well, I kind of, I some that something said Doc Ock to me in a way because there is something in every in every version of Spider Man that I've seen somewhere or other. Um, there always seems to be someone interning at a scientist's lab, and the scientist will either be Doctor Octopus or Norman Osborn, the yeah. Goblin. So, like, I was expecting one of them to turn up once a science experiment became part of the story. Yeah. But uh, but obviously, as she's a woman. That's the part I wasn't expecting. Yes. And she was she was really beautifully visualized. Like mm. you know, the whole movement of her with the arms and the kind of arms she was given. It's just it's beautiful design, and actually it's beautifully animated as well. Catherine you know? Hahn uh, uh, does the voice. I don't, right. I don't know who she is. Either. No, I don't either. Um, so I mean, when you say it's an all-star cast, there are stars, but there's also plenty of people that we haven't heard of who you know stood alongside and stuff. Sure. And uh, um, I mean, every, everyone is well voiced. Everyone's well cast. Yes. Um, but I think to go back to what you were saying about you know if I like all this then why why did I find bits of it boring? Um, and I th- I had a thought that um, goes back to something else you said, which is that I think there's something you said you know I might have had a better time watching this on DVD, and I think there's something televisual about it. Yeah. Or if not televisual, then like it's it's like a made for TV movie. Like they've done lots of the, I, I haven't seen I've only seen one of them actually, a Batman one I think, a Joker one. Um, and they're very good. These kind of straight to DVD, two D animations. They're surprisingly good. They're really good. But 
but they are different. You couldn't, they, they wouldn't be the same in the cinema. Yes. And this seemed to inhabit that world in a way. Yes. Like, it, it is visually spectacular. There's no taking away from that. It's, it's an incredible achievement visually. It's beautiful to look at. It's kaleidoscopic and interesting and complex and, and, and careful and beautifully composed. But there is something, maybe it's, I think it might be in the plot, you know, that everyone is, because it's fitting in all these versions, there's something very thin about everything. I think, I think that's the thing. I think there is something very thin about everything. There's something very sentimental uh, about that thinness. Mm. And also, it isn't, it doesn't touch you emotionally. Like, you know, so, so to me, those are like three, three problems, actually. One, you know, a kind of a lack of complexity, you know, the over-sentimentality, which I think is slightly cheap, actually it cheapens the whole thing. Um, and then the fact that you, it doesn't, it doesn't, well, it didn't touch me emotionally. I kind of, I didn't engage with it emotionally on any level, really. I, I feel similar. It, it, um, what I did like, what did touch me was, again, it's something we touched on, uh, I suppose, recently in kind of, in uh, the podcast on, Coined by your name, way back when, mm. and also on um, disobedience, the idea of of being separate from someone yeah. who you'll kind of who'll have a place in your heart forever. Because mm. there's this idea that these guys have to get back to their universes, or they're going to die. They're going to disintegrate in his. Yes. And and when they do manage to get them back, um, it's it, the the experience with them has changed him as a person. Miles, this is has changed mm. Miles completely. But he'll never ever be able to see these people, communicate with them again. They are they're completely separate in their separate universes. Mm. And also, and there's the you know the friendship that he develops with Gwen. Mm. Again, it is light, and the film is doing so many other things that it doesn't have an awful lot of time to devote to it. But it has enough time to devote to it that when you see him on his phone, see her on her phone at the end, looking at pictures that they took mm. when they were together, that I find that quite tender. Yes, right at the end. Um, but but I think what you're more referring to is probably the Stanley. Um, sentimentalization. I am. Uh, As he's passed away. Uh, this, yes. This is the first kind of Marvel thing, I think, that since he passed away. Yes. But but also, you know, the the message of the film, you know, that anyone can wear the mask and you just go... Oh, it overdoes it. You know, throw up. I think it would... I think, again, I think that's a Stan Lee thing because that was definitely something that Stan Lee loved to talk about with Spider-Man. Because with other superheroes, you could see bits of their face. Basically, like like you know, Batman the cowl, it, it reeled mm. his face. Whatever you, you could always, see, and Spider Man was one where every part of him was covered, and so you really could imagine yourself as him somehow. Mm. And he loved to talk about that in interviews and stuff. And I wonder whether, had he not died before this film came out, the film wouldn't have really pushed that as hard. No, I was, think that was his very vocal message. No, but I think it. it 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 would have pushed it that hard because. You know, you are confronted by what five or six Spidermans, right? So this idea that anybody can wear, you know, the different people wear the mask, and therefore that anyone can wear the mask. It seems like there is a logic to it, but it's just you know the banality of it is what got me. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> no, I suppose that's right, and and also the, the um, I mean, if this is something that was on my mind as well before even it started to come up in the film. I thought that there's going to be something about this, the idea that of anyone being able to wear the mask, and. Um, I think the fact that the film does set up a hierarchy of who's more more serious a Spider-Man than other ones um, slightly does a disservice to that. You know, which is to say, like, you can more easily imagine yourself probably as Miles or Peter or Gwen than you can 
as the pig. Yes. <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so yeah, there is there's a certain degree of equality. Like there is obviously this thing of, of every, everyone has their talents and everyone has their version of what Spider Man Spider Person mm. means in their universe and what makes them useful and interesting. But um there is a certain inequality to how it works. Like I say, like like the pig and the anime girl and the noir guy mm. are more or less brushed off. They are there for a bit of relief and yes. and to and to and to make the world a little bit more interesting and more vibrant and mm. and and make the story and make it a little bit richer. I mean, if it, I mean if it were just Gwen, Peter, and Miles, mm. it wouldn't have nearly the same level of interest or excitement. Mm. You know? Those guys bring the, a lot of color to it. Yes, and let's bring up the thing about color because I don't, I, you know, I don't think. I mean, I almost forgot to be honest, which is to the film's credit. You know, but I think it is significant that, you know, this young new Spider-Man is a black Spider-Man, you know. uh, So, you know, which, which, I mean, I'm sure there there probably have been uh, in the comic book in the past, black people wearing wearing the the mask, so to speak. I'm not so sure that there have been. I think it was a big deal when Miles Morales was introduced. Okay. I think. No, no. Um... So therefore, so if Mike Morales was introduced ten years ago, then actually, you know, it's been going on for a while. So I just think it was kind of, um, to me, very interesting to see Spider-Man in a movie be a black Spider-Man. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't, you know, actually, seven years ago, August twenty eleven. Right. Uh, he first he first showed up. Uh, I'm just trying to see if the if there are, I mean, there was definitely news stories about it, and there was a whole thing when, when when Donald Glover was in Community. He, uh, he kind of informally petitioned to be the new Spider-Man when they were casting for All a new right. one. <laughs> um, and, and I think the idea was then like that would be the first black Spider-Man because okay. I don't I don't think there was a precedent. And the idea was why can't there be? I mean, he, he was drawing on the idea of anyone can wear the mask. If anyone can wear the mask, why don't they? Yes. And I think <laughs> so. I think that that I think that is what ultimately led this this kind of various pressures and and just changes in society and what people wanted. Um, led to Miles Morales. Okay. Um, anyway, I think it's that? a significant thing, you know, and just to go back, you know, to this, well, this idea of mine, I suppose, you know, but in a year where you have widows, you know, and you have Black Panther, etc., 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 Black Klansman and so on, to have a Black Spider-Man as well, yeah. it just feels like, uh, it feels quite something. Uh, I've got here, uh, although Morales is the first Black Spider-Man, he marks the second time a Latino character has taken Spider-Man identity. Miguel O'Hara, who is a half-Mexican descent, was the title character in the 1990s series Spider-Man 2099. Okay. There you go. So there you go. Um, yeah. And th- another thing I noticed, and it was only a minor thing, was was how uh, Mars's parents are in public service. Yes. Both of them. Obviously, his dad's a cop, and his mum, who you only see a little bit, uh, has a paramedics uniform. Yes. And there is something... Th- this is one of the things, I guess, that is very likable about Spider-Man. It's the idea of him as, as a kind of regular person and someone who gives to society. And the whole thing about Spider-Man, I guess, is is I'm a kid. You know, so I've been given this this power, not, this responsibility, but I'm a kid, and how do I balance that? But Not just a kid. Always in a working-class kid. Right. You know, or a, a lower-middle-class kid. I mean, you know... Well, this is what of, I was getting to, yeah. Yeah. The, the idea of class. and There was... There was um, a Spider-Man video game that came out recently, which was a big deal on on, on PlayStation. Um, again, Sony property, so it's a Sony mm. game, and um, 
And that had quite an interesting take where Spider-Man, what you normally get is an origin story as well. Mm. You normally get this, is, and this is what the film uh, kind of gently yeah, mocks yeah. is so many origin stories. And in the Spider-Man game, Spider-Man's like 26, 27 years old. Mm. So he's been Spider-Man for eight or nine years at this point. And people, there are people who know his identity. Mary Jane knows his identity. Um, and so you're able to jump into a slightly different story with it. Mm. And one of the things in that is that he helps run a soup kitchen with Aunt May. And um, and the artist's kind of working with the cops and stuff, but he has this great sense of social responsibility. And in and in the game, you're able to fly around New York, sort of swing around New York as freely as you like. And a lot of the a lot of the little missions that you get are things like I mean, there's one where it's like a homeless guy says, "I lost all my pigeons. Can you get my pigeons back?" Mm. Like things like that. There's a, there's an emphasis on Spider-Man kind of materially affecting very normal people's lives. Well. As opposed to always fighting the thing that is about to destroy the world. What I remember of the comic books growing up was also uh, him um, struggling to make ends meet. Yeah. You know, so just kind of to pay the rent or to pay his university courses or, you know, always being short of money and kind of, you know, and therefore having to sell pictures to, you know, um, mm. to I the forget what Yeah, the Bugle. So, so you know, the sense of money being a worry and a concern and kind of, you know, uh, um, living in a precarious situation, right, kind of, that's also part of what made it so appealing, really. Yeah, and that, that is actually, that's a, um, going back to the game, that's a big part of the game as well, you oh. get that feeling all the time. And there's always something implicit, I feel, it's, it's, I don't know how often it's ever been made explicit, but there is something, there's always seemed to be something implicit that says... Um, if he wanted, he could make loads of money. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, he yes. could sell yes. this for a profit, clearly, somehow. Or he could steal it, you know, or yeah. whatever. Well, yeah, He's yeah, got he the power to, to do what he wants. So so there's an active ethical choice at all times. Yeah. Um, but let's wrap this That's up. That's that great responsibility. That's right. <laughs> oh, the great, great power. power. <laughs> great responsibility. Yeah. So, um, kind of... I'm not going. You know, I'm not going as crazy about this film as a lot of people are. People are really taking to it, um, and, yes. and you can see why. And there is something very nerdy about it. I mean, if you're someone who knows a lot more about Spider-Man than you or I do, yes, then it is going to reward you because there are there are especially in the in the end credits as well. Like everything that the film kind of hasn't been able to bring in, it just it just spaffs so out in the credits. Good, there's yeah. a there's a, a tour through so many Spider-Man references and versions in the credits. Yes. I, I recognise one or two. Yes, you know, but I mean, there's so many that I won't have recognised that are there for you. So it has it obviously has like a real respect um, uh, for its for its source material and its fans uh, and the various things they might like and it, and I guess you know there's something interesting in the way that it's talked about its source material, you know, and kind of talked about its own history. You know, I, I think very often when you get a new version of Spider-Man or, or whatever hero it may be, um, you do tend to get a new origin story. I mean, Wolverine had about eight in yes. cinema, like one after the other, and they were all played by Hugh Jackman. Yes. There's constant Wolverine origin stories. Um, and there's always some kind of implied knowledge or that sort of thing, you know, kind of kind of what you know and what you don't know and so so the way that a new version will will take bits of what you know reconfigure it um so like so in in the uh tom is it holland or hollander i forget which one he is but the the new kid in the marvel movies i i, I can't remember either. yeah well when it's when when he starts off there's like they change things uh, as as kind of deep as he's got no uncle ben mm. in that 
um, which I felt a little bit. You know, I mean, again, I'm not the biggest fan, but I felt a little bit weirded out by that. Like, yes. you know, the thing about Uncle Ben dying and that—that's where he learns yeah, yeah, yeah. his lesson. Seems to be quite important, but you know, it was a big change in, in the new Marvel lot. And what this film does is it's able to kind of take all that and uh, and say like, this is what you know about Spider Man. And so it says, you know, you know this. Every time they do an origin story, they say, "Come on, you know this." You know this, yeah. And some of them you do, some of them I do. Like, like the thing about the the very classic Peter Parker one origin story is well known. The noir one and the one about the girl who befriends the spider in the robot. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> no, I didn't the, know that either. But the idea that they're all introducing them with "you know this" yeah. is quite interesting. Like, there's a there's a way that it's conversing with its own history. Yes, yes. That I think is kind of interesting, which I I, I haven't quite thought through exactly, but is in there yes well I'd be interested in seeing it again on DVD and kind of having a more leisurely um, look at it uh, and I'm very glad we saw it but you know I, I also don't think uh, as highly of it as uh, as some of my other friends have been saying yeah and no, I, I agree I mean I, I, the, other, the last thing is I think people have, I've seen people have been making lists yes. of, of their favourite Spider-Man versions and um it seems to come for everyone. Uh, basically, go Spider-Man to this version of Spider-Man into the into the multiverse, into the Spider-Verse, and then various other ones. And you know, for me, even even Spider-Man Three, which I know everyone hates, sits uh, above this. Uh, I think this, I, I I still love the original Spider-Man trilogy, and I, I watched them a couple of months ago. I rewatched them, and I just thought, no, these are really good movies, and that everyone deserves. Everyone needs to have a second look at them. And actually, if you're listening to this. You'd have to go back and watch Spider-Man three again because there is really, really, really good stuff in that film that you've all <laughs> forgotten because all you remember is emo Spider-Man, which was admittedly very dumb. Um. You know, but there is so much other stuff. But like, go back and look at the scene where Bruce Campbell plays the waiter in the restaurant. It's comic genius. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> okay. On that note, we recommend it, but it might be good for you to go with lower expectations than. You know, have been recently built up on this movie. You'd enjoy it more. Yeah, it's but it's it's yeah, it's good fun. It's good fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on iTunes and SoundCloud and YouTube and uh, Facebook and Twitter at eavesdropmovies.com, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com, where you can see the full list of all all the movies we've talked about. Great. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye bye. Bye bye.